and welcome to the Q York podcast, brought to you from our local church in the beautiful city of York in the UK. The message you're about to hear is from one of our services, which also feature great live music and relevant movie clips. These can all be found on our blog, so to make sure you're getting the full experience, feel free to head over to qyork.co.uk and select blog to find the relevant content. There's also a huge selection of talks and live music videos on our media page, as well as a donate button if you'd like to show your appreciation and enable us to keep producing free content like this. Finally, to stay up to date on new blogs and events at Q, you can sign up for emails by filling in your name and email address at the bottom of any page on the website. But right now, it's time for the message. Good morning, everybody. Good. Um, this morning, we are going to have a collaboration morning where we're going to get a few different people coming up who maybe might not normally share the mic, and we're going to see what's inspired us over the last few weeks and months. Um, now, I saw that clip this week. Uh, I was just flicking through YouTube, and it jumped out at me. And I don't know about you, but did some of that resonate? You're thinking it's, it feels quite timely. Now, um, Ernest Shackleton, if you don't know, slide, uh, had a dream. He was an explorer who tried to cross the Antarctic. But unfortunately, he never got from where he wanted to get to, to where, like his destination. He never got to where he was heading. And there was a reason he didn't get there. It was because he got stuck in the ice. Now, 100 years later, a different team went to the same location, and they didn't get stuck in the ice. And there was a reason that they didn't get stuck in the ice. It was because they had an ice-breaking ship. Have we got the slides? Are they here? Yeah, that's Shackleton. That's his ship stuck in the ice. And cue next slide. That is an ice-breaking ship. Um, so did you clock what that guy, by the way, how funny is the, the fact that his name is Dan Snow? And it's like, couldn't make this up. Anyway, uh, he said, when you've worked towards something for so many months and so many years, you can forget what it is you're working towards sometimes. Does that resonate with anybody? It could be your job. It could be, why did we ever have kids in the first place? It could be, why, do, why did I get together with this person? It could be, what's this relationship about? It could be, as a community, why do we come on a Sunday morning? What is it that we exist for? Well, one of the reasons we exist as a community is to be an ice-breaking ship, clearing a way through the ice of life so that we won't get stuck so that we can be free to realize our dreams and fulfill our potential, but also so that others can follow through and not get stuck in the same ice. So, what is this ice that we might get stuck in? Well, Chris has talked about this before, the word religion. And if you look at the root of where the word religion comes from, it comes from the Latin religare. Now, I play saxophone, where's M? M plays saxophone over here. Now, Emily will tell you that on her saxophone she has a mouthpiece. Now, to hold the reed to the mouthpiece, you have what is called a ligature. Cue next slide. Ba-ding! It's like, there you go, so there's your ligature. Now, what the ligature does is it holds something in a fixed position. It basically makes sure that that reed isn't going to move around and wobble so that when you're playing, it's in a fixed position, which is great for a saxophone, not maybe so great for us when it comes to our personal perspectives on ourselves, other people, and life, because a religious spirit 
isn't just about what we believe about Christian doctrines. It's not just about what we think about heaven or hell or the cross or the Bible. A religious spirit is the fixed mindsets and the concrete beliefs that we've developed from our experiences in life. And they can be the ice that stops us growing and going where faith might take us. Now, Anth talked about this last week when he talked about the story of Abraham. Abraham had a crisis in his life, a tragedy. His brother had died, and his family got stuck at this city, which, ironically enough, was named the same name as his brother who died. There's something in there, isn't there? It's the fact that actually when we have some traumatic experience, whether it be an argument with somebody, or maybe you had a car crash, or maybe something fell apart in your life, it might have been an actual death, but that trauma you can end up freezing. Um, And here's how we freeze. It's not just that we are like, oh, I'm not sure what to do. The beliefs we take from those experiences, we're like, we set them in concrete. We're like, that's my fixed position now. And I think that's the ice we can get stuck in. Now, a few weeks ago, Anth pointed out the difference between faith and belief. And I loved this. He said, um, we might say things like, I believe there's no hope. I believe I'm a victim. I believe I've failed. We might all resonate with them and go, well, yeah, well, that's true. I do believe some of that. But we wouldn't say, I have faith that there's no hope. It just doesn't feel right, does it? We wouldn't say, I have faith that I'm a victim or I have faith that I've failed. So there's a distinct difference between belief and faith. Now, because of the experiences you've had, you may believe certain things. But the question I wanted to pose this morning is, what do you have faith for? And that can come across in two ways. One, what do we have faith for? But also, what do we have faith for? Um, And I want you to consider that for yourself, like what role is faith playing in your life at the moment? Someone asked me this this week, what is the story you're telling yourself? And how would faith transform that story? Now, I might say, I believe there's no hope, but I have faith that all things are possible. I might believe that I've been a victim in the past, and that might be true, but I have faith that my future is greater than my past. I might believe that I've failed, but I have faith that I am more than I've become, and I can learn and I can grow. So, the challenge comes to us. Do we want to get stuck in the ice, defending these fixed mindsets and beliefs that we've developed from our experiences, or are we ready to break some ice? Because that's what we are here for. To question what's become normal for us and grow beyond what we've become. Do I have a drummer? Yeah, I do. Awesome. By the way, Phil has turned up, well, Phil would have turned up anyway this morning, but Kev was meant to be drumming this morning. Kev is ill, sadly. So if you're watching Kev, get better soon. But uh, I woke up Phil this morning. Could you please drum today? And so he's come in early. So thank you so much, Phil. Um, Now, the song we're about to sing is called Faith is Beyond Belief. Um, Now, it has a line in it, which someone was asking me about this week. What we think we know is an aperitif. Where's Leo? There he is. Now, What is an aperitif? Someone thought it was a pair of teeth, which it isn't a pair of teeth. But maybe what we think we know is a pair of teeth sometimes. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But an aperitif is a drink you have before a meal. But it isn't the meal. It's just the beginning. So what you think you know so far about your life, maybe about your beliefs, about who you are, about who other people are, it is just the beginning. And faith is going to take us beyond belief And I think faith is the spirit of an ice-breaking ship that says we're going to break through anything that's fixed. We're going to question it. It might take a bit of time, but we're going to churn it up until we get where we're going because we don't want to get stuck. So faith will keep taking us beyond belief. Enjoy the song. Good morning. Um, I don't get up here very often anymore, so if you don't know me, my name's Beth. Um, I used to get up here all the time, and 
I used to really enjoy it, and now it stresses me out a little bit because I, um, I used to have loads of time to think about what I wanted to say. And now I have like, this, every time I try and think about it, I have this background noise of a three-year-old watching Ra Ra, the noisy little lion, which <laughs> you then think that's all that's in your head when you get up onto the stage. You're like, all I can think of is the lyrics to Ra Ra, the noisy little lion. Um, anyway, I wanted to show you that clip today because... Um, it's kind of the sort of thoughts that it presents have been what's going around my mind recently. And a couple of weeks ago, Ant talked about uh, faith versus belief. And he used a, a quote, which I might get wrong, um, but I think the, roughly the quote was that life can be understood backwards, but it has to be lived forwards. And like, first of all, I, I remember seeing the quote and thinking, okay, well, that just baffles my mind as it is. I need to try and think that one through. But it then stayed in my head most of the week. And um, I went to work and I was doing some research for my, for my work around the idea of um, young people who are, are living their lives with ADHD. Now, if you don't know what that is, it's attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. So I was work that one out a bit. Um, and yes, yeah, so I was doing a bit of research because a lot of the young people I work with um, have to live their lives with that and, and we have to work with them. So finding ways to work with people who have a, a different way of thinking is something that is always a challenge. And I was doing this research and I came across this lady who presented all sorts of ideas which were incredibly interesting. But the one that stuck with me, because this quote was going around my head, is that she said that people who live their lives with ADHD cannot visualise the end result of a task. They can't visualise it. And the way that neurotypical brains, for most of us, that most of us have that neurotypical brains, the way that our brains work is that we, if we were going to make, the example she used is if we were going to make a peanut butter sandwich, we would visualise what a peanut butter sandwich looks like, we would take it apart, on separate all the components and then we would know where to start in how to do that and we do that really subconsciously very very quickly I'm sure if I've just said the word peanut butter sandwich many of you are imagining what a peanut butter sandwich looks like and you can then take it apart you know the steps that are needed to achieve that end result and those people who live with ADHD cannot do that and so therefore they don't know where to start which suddenly, in terms of my work, opened up a whole new thing of like, how, you know, how do we work with these people then that don't know how to start? And she was saying that the, the historic way of working with people who, who can't visualise is to teach them to visualise the end result. To do that by practice, by repetition, to, to drill into their minds what the end result looks like. She said the more recent way of thinking is to say, why not embrace a different way of thinking and just give them a starting point and say, start here. It doesn't matter if you're peanut butter sandwich doesn't look like this at the end as long as it's got peanut butter and as long as it tastes nice and as long as you enjoy it do you know what that's what counts and so I, I sort of had this idea in my head and I had the quote in my head and, and I was thinking about it and I was thinking, do you know what, in reality, my life, two areas of my life had followed that stream that I have had growing up, I have had this sort of ideal way that my life was going to go and where it was going to end, do you know, and, and like that, I was eight, what I was aiming for, this 2.4 children, a lovely house, a degree, a nice job and all of that and I knew, because it had been drilled into me by society, that these are the steps that you take to get to that end result. And it took that falling apart for me to have to see a different way, for me to have to see a different way of doing things. And the other side of that is, is 
I, I grew up in church. I've gone to church my whole life, and I'm very grateful for that. It has been a real gift for me in many ways. But also what it has done is it has given me stepping stones to a destination that I was trying to achieve. Steps, formulas, rules, regulations, ways to get to this final destination, which was heaven, that we always wanted to be at. That's what we were going. That's what we were aiming for. These are the different steps we needed to take to get there. And suddenly, as those things fell apart, as those things didn't work, as the formulas suddenly didn't add up for me, it was like absolute panic. Do you know, how am I going to get here? Like the starting point and the destination seemed miles away from each other and unachievable. And the reality was I needed a new way of thinking. I needed to stop this destination. This is where I want to get to thinking and start to say, I'm going to live forwards. I'm going to start now and I'm going to take my own steps as life presents itself. The next right thing, whatever that is, I don't know. And I'm going to take each one as it goes to see where that takes me. Because if I just take this standard route, it might fall apart anyway. It might fall apart anyway. And maybe what I need is to see the algae to guide me home and no longer to see these steps to this destination that I've got visualized that probably isn't right anyway. So I need to follow the algae and find a new path and a new way home. And if I can start to do that, then I can start to live forwards instead of backwards. Okay, so um, after Anth preached a little while ago about, um, well, it wasn't that, I don't know how long ago, about uh, perspective and perception, it, it sparked off a train of, of thought in me. Um, lots of ideas and things, and I thought I'd come and share them. You really can't see a thing. I can't actually see anyone. It's, it's, it's weird. Um, I've been uh, reading a book called Factfulness. I've got a slide with it on, so you can have a little look at it. Um, which is written by a guy called Hans Rosling. Um, and he found that after surveying hundreds of people in lots of different countries, lots of different walks of life, um, that people's perception of the world in terms of things like what percentage of people are living in poverty, uh, why the global population is increasing, and how many girls finish school, they were systematically getting the answers wrong. Most people perceive the world to be worse off than it is. And why is that? So one of the things he says, um, the reasons for this perception, is the perspective that the media gives us. They know which kind of stories are going to grab people's attention and will sell newspapers. Yeah, so we've got another slide with some headlines that uh, malaria continues to gradually decline and meteorologists correctly predicted yesterday that there would be mild weather in London today. These are the headlines that aren't going to get past an editor. They want things that are going to grab our attention. Things like earthquakes, war, refugees, disease, fire floods, shark and terror attacks. All very cheery. Um, these unusual events are more newsworthy than everyday ones. And the unusual stories we are constantly shown by the media paint pictures in our heads. If we're not extremely careful, we come to believe that unusual is usual. That this is what the world looks like. He also points out how well these things can be reported now. So we hear about everything like that a lot more um, than we would have done necessarily a, a few decades ago, I guess. So I've just picked out a, a few of the facts that he says in this book because they're really positive and me as an optimist and number seven like, like to think that everything's good. Um, so water, the share of people with water from a protected source in 1980, there was only 58% of the world that had that. In 2015, that's up to 88%. Um, the share of girls of primary age that are enrolled in school, in 1970, it was only 65%. In 2015, it's 90%. 90% of girls in the world. 
Um, and then literacy, the share of adults, which is 15 plus, with ba basic skills to read and write. I mean, this goes a bit further back. In 1800, it was only 10%. In 2016, it's 86%. So there's some, you know, some good improvements being made. Um, okay, so next slide. Journalists and activists skillfully manage to make every dip in a trend appear to be the end of the world, even if the general trend is clearly improving, scaring us with alarming exaggerations. So, for example, in the US, the crime rate has been on a downward trend since 1990. Just under 14.5 million crimes were reported in 1990. By 2016, that figure was well under 9.5 million. But each time uh, something horrific or shocking happened, which was pretty much every year, a crisis was reported. Therefore, the majority of people, the vast majority of the time, believe that crime is getting worse. This graph shows the actual figures compared to people's perception of them. So I don't know if you can see like the arrows in the middle. The perception was that for the majority of the time it was getting worse, whereas actually it was, it was dropping for most of the time. There's only one arrow where it got worse one year. Um, so that reminded me uh, of the negativity bias that we've talked about before. We, we're more likely to hang on to the one negative bit of news, even though there's lots of uh, positive things, especially if that scares us. So this then made me think about my own life in the past couple of years. I know it's been a difficult time for lots of people, uh, and I'm not the exception. I've struggled a lot with my mental health, and I went through a period suffering from depression and anxiety. Some days I'd feel so overwhelmed and worried that I wasn't going to be able to cope with the day, look after my kids, that I just didn't want to get out of bed. Focusing in and living in the moment, concentrating on the next five minutes really helped me. I couldn't think about cooking tea that night. It felt unreachable. But actually, I could get up and brush my teeth. I could do that. And then it was on to the next thing. And do you know what? I don't think there were many times that by tea time, I didn't cook tea because by then, it was doable. I could do it. Um, and then as I started to get a bit better, I really struggled then if I had a bad day again. When I felt like I was doing a bit better, making progress, I'd then make things worse by adding complete despair and hopelessness uh, to the mix when I had a bit of a dip. I felt like I was going back to square one, that none of my efforts were working, it was a waste of time. And I think, as Anth said, um, I obviously wasn't believing or not enough because I could fix this if I was believing. Um, that wasn't helpful, though. It wasn't helping me. Growth and progress is very rarely a straight line, like this graph. Like, when does that ever happen? Um, it happens in peaks and troughs, ups and downs. And even as I was thinking about it, we talk about growth spurts and babies making developmental leaps, um, meaning that nothing happens for a long time, and then all of a sudden, like, a lot of things happen. And it, it's like that with the seasons as well, isn't it? Everything grows in spring and dies off in winter, which has also been talked about a lot. So what I learned was not to focus my attention on the dip in the trend, that one bad day, or even a bad moment in the day. You know, it seemed pretty dire. Oh, if we move on to the next slide, sorry. If, if I'm sitting at the bottom of one of these troughs, um, that I've lost my point, sorry. Pretty dire, that, ev that everything wasn't good. But I found that actually there was a bit of a paradox between living in the moment, rolling in the scroll, as we've talked about before, and concentrating on that day, as opposed to zooming out completely to gain a wider perspective and a bigger picture. When I thought about it, I had made progress, things were getting better, and although today maybe felt worse than yesterday, I still wasn't as bad as I had been a few months before. 
one, one thing that I would always refer to was going to do the food shop. I remember at one point I couldn't go and do the shop without my mum having to drive me there and like go around the shop with me. I distinctly remember feeling like I was going to have a panic attack on the way to Aldi, which is ridiculous because it was just my perception of what was going to happen there because actually once I got in the supermarket, it was fine. I was like, oh, there's the cucumber, put that in the trolley, need that. Like, you know, no, big, no biggie. Um, And then fast forward a couple of months, I was maybe in this dip and I didn't feel like going to the shop today, but actually I had been going and picking up a few bits myself and, and that was all right. So being able to remain hopeful and keep the faith that things could and would get better and that setbacks are all just part of it, I was able to relax a bit more into the days when I didn't feel so good, not add insult to injury by despairing and being unkind to myself. I'd let myself off from doing the housework if I didn't have the energy, just do what I needed to to survive. And there's always tomorrow. And it's okay not to be okay. I remember we've talked about that a lot. I remember, I think Joel had it written on his wall in his office. And I was always like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay to not be okay. But actually, I don't think I'd ever grasped it for myself. Like, it's okay if I'm not okay. I definitely felt I had to strive to be like 100% all the time. And so I would make myself feel worse about feeling bad by, by being, like, beating myself up. Like, what's that about? Um, and so I was, I was thinking about, I think there's a philosophical principle, I think I remember Sarah talking to me about this, that actually you can't really appreciate light without dark, white without black. Um, I think that there's another slide as well. If our lives were filled with absolutely nothing but bliss and joy, would we enjoy that? Would we even be able to comprehend a notion of enjoyment if we had nothing unpleasant or unwanted in our lives? Perhaps these troughs that go along with the peaks are really what makes the whole. Um, so I'd recover from a dip much quicker when I learned to relax and think like this, not stress about how I didn't feel okay, accept it all, being able to take that wider perspective and be reassured that there's always the potential for things to get better, keeping the faith that all will be well. And in the same breath, live life in this moment, doing what I could, changing my perspective was really powerful in helping me in my recovery and continues to be today. So keep the faith that all will be well. Adjust your perspective to accept that darkness as well as the light. It's all part of life. And that growth and progress doesn't happen in a straight line. Well, I don't know about you, but a year not having live music, it's been amazing coming back here and listening to all this fantastic singing. And that was a brilliant job. So <laughs> I didn't get the memo about the slides. So you've just got me, my phone, and my old lady glasses. So you just have to put up with that. And I'm showing a clip that I thought was going to be before I was on it, it's now after, and it's, it's featured from Trolls, uh, which is a firm favourite in our house, um, and it's about um, a troll called Branch, who's a bit of a misery, and a bit of a realist, um, the Bergens are coming sort of guy, and then there's Poppy, who I semi-relate to, because she's just quite positive, burns herself out a bit, and is a bit like a hamster on a wheel, which... Uh, when I Amp showed the clip the other week when he was talking about perspective, um, it made me laugh because I think it was actual footage of my house with me and my husband because my husband's a bit of a branch and I'm a bit of a poppy. And people always joke, I always joke and say, well, he's a cup half empty and I'm a cup half full. And a friend of mine said, and it was funny when Amp was talking about this, a friend of mine said, well, that makes a cup. And I thought, well, there you go. It's all about perspective. And uh, another thing that was said that week, and I talked to Chris about it afterwards, where she talked about anxiety is the dizziness of freedom. 
And that's really made me think because um, I found since I felt more freedom in my life and, you know, through, through the church and everything, that I don't know about you, but my anxiety levels are like strong, hard relate there. And um, sorry, a bit nervous. But I've started to think lately about self-care and often we see on Instagram and things, this sort of Instagrammable image of what self-care might look like and how that, like, we've almost got to escape from our life to almost feel better about it. And I've kind of struggled with that a bit, but I've been listening a lot to some podcasts. Um, in particular, I quite like Fern Cotton stuff. Um, and she talks a lot about mental health and a lot about self-care. And we, she talked about meditation in her latest book, which is something that I thought I wanted to tap into. <laughs> but when I actually try it, I find it almost impossible because my ego, my head just won't turn off. And, and I sort of sit there and I think, I just, I just can't get with this. Um, and it made me think a little bit about the ego because it won't let me rest. And also my spiritual side of me is saying, come on, just go with the flow, just chill out a bit. And it kind of made me think that actually, and, and Fern talks about this in her book, that sometimes it's about sitting with your ego and not trying to escape it. And sometimes it's about embracing it and saying, come on, what's wrong? Let's talk about it. And it's letting that spiritual side and your ego combine. And actually, I think there's a great power in that. You know, even with Joel's words in the song, you know, how love is unstoppable. I think that, that love and self-care is actually sometimes about embracing the light and the dark, as Kelly said. Um, so it made me think, you know, sometimes it's about the silence in the chaos the love in the fear, the scroll on the now, the breath, finding the flow, owning your crazy, being your own biggest fan and celebrating yourself and all that that encompasses. So everything, the good, the bad, the ugly, the achievements. Um, and I actually found, I had a quite a difficult couple of weeks, well, about a month really, if I'm honest. The work's been pretty intense. And I think sometimes you can just be a bit like a hamster on a wheel trying to make it all work and trying to fix it all, but something happened a couple of weeks ago that was totally just beyond my control. And actually what I found was when the stress peaks, I was actually fine because I'm so grounded and I'm so whole on the inside because of what I learn here and what I understand of life that you think often those things that you fear and you catastrophize and you try and predict, often when it comes to it, you're actually, you've actually got the tools to deal with it. And um, so it goes to show that you don't have to physically just switch it all off, and that it's about finding a calm in the storm sometimes. And also learning sometimes that taking a break won't actually kill you. <laughs> but <laughs> I just want to finish with reading this thing that uh, Jenny Ainsworth shared quite recently that I thought was really, it really rung true to me anyway. And it's about self-care. So self-care is often a very unbeautiful thing. So it's not Instagrammy. It is making a spreadsheet of your debt and enforcing a morning routine, cooking yourself healthy meals and no longer just running from your problems and calling the distraction a solution. It is often doing the ugliest thing that you have to do, like sweat through another workout or tell a toxic friend you don't want to see them anymore, or get a second job so you can have a savings account, or figure out a way to accept yourself so that you're not constantly exhausted from trying to be everything all the time and then needing to take deliberate, mandated breaks from living to do basic things like drop some oil into a bath and read Marie Claire and turn your phone off for the day. A world in which self-care has to be such a trendy topic 
is a world that is sick. Self-care should not be something we resort to because we are so absolutely exhausted that we need some reprieve from our own relentless internal pressure. True self-care is not salt baths on chocolate cake. It's making the choice to build a life that you don't need to regularly escape from and that often takes doing the thing you least want to do. Oh, hang on, I've had to scroll past. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, it often means looking your failures. Uh, don't do this to me. <laughs> okay, it's about looking your disappointment square in the eye and re-strategizing. It's not satiating your immediate desires. It is letting go. It is choosing new. It is disappointing some people. It is making sacrifices for others. It is living a way that other people won't. So maybe you can live a way that other people can't. It's letting yourself be normal, regular, unexceptional. It is something, it's sometimes having a dirty kitchen and deciding your ultimate goal in life isn't going to have abs and keeping up with your fake friends. It's deciding how much of your anxiety comes from not actualizing your latent potential and how much comes from the way you were being trained to think before you even knew what was happening. If you find yourself having to regularly indulge in consumer self-care, it's because you are disconnected from actual self-care, which has very little to do with treating yourself and a whole lot to do with parenting yourself and making choices for your long-term wellness. It's no longer using your hectic and unreasonable life as justification for self-sabotage in the form of alcohol or procrastination. It's learning how to stop trying to fix yourself and try and start trying to take care of yourself and maybe finding that taking care lovingly attends to a lot of the problems you were trying to fix in the first place. It means being the hero of your life, not the victim. It means rewiring what you have until your everyday life isn't something you need therapy to recover from. It's no longer choosing a life that looks good over a life that feels good. It's giving the hell up on some goals so you can care about others. It's being honest, even if that means you aren't universally liked. It is meeting your own needs so you aren't anxious and dependent on other people. But it's becoming the person you know you want and are meant to be. Someone who knows that salt baths and chocolate cake are ways to enjoy life and not escape from it. Oh, well, I've enjoyed this morning. Yay, did it. Um, we have collaboration week, but none of us know what each other's particularly going to talk about. Um, and I, too, found the one where um, it was Don't burn the, burn the Guitar and Ode to Perspective was the one that has stuck with me. So I'm just going to finish off tonight. This morning, I did so well. I did so well <laughs> this morning. Um, just echo back what I heard, because I re-listened to it yesterday, and it was a brilliant message, so do, do re-listen to it if you haven't recently. So perspective perception was what it was about, and it was how we see the world, how we see things, and then how we interpret what we see. And some of the things I heard that really struck me was that beliefs are formed by experiences, inferences, and then the deductions we make about life, and also by accepting what others tell us to be true. But the bit that really spoke to me as well was where Ant said about how what, where we are looking from is actually more important than what we are looking at. And you've heard tonight how people have had to say, I see what I'm looking at, but where am I going to look from 
at this situation. And the other thing that I really thought was powerful um, was when he said, what would happen if we could ditch all of our previous um, perceptions and perspectives and start from now? What if we could ditch the history and wipe our memories and see from now? Because so much of what we bring to the table is sometimes the past and the meanings we've attached to it. And they're the things that get fixed and religious in our experience. So the things in life we heard were the three Ps. They can be very permanent, pervasive, and deeply personal. And that's, that's very real when you're in that three P state. And then we have to then live from, from there. And then we have to defend that experience because it's ours. And... If it's ours, that has to be something that has value and identity has to be in. And if you've not seen the, the film Smallfoot, please watch that too. Because when he says, but if I'm not the gong ringer, who am I? Um, that's why we defend our experiences, because they have to be who we are, or else how will the sun rise in our lives? Um, and how then do we get back up again to a new a new thing and the gospel, the good news. So then um, we heard about how you then have to faith the facts and we've heard about faith tonight. And that faith is that inner conviction that all will be well. And it's not, as Kelly said, well, if we believe enough and we're good enough, we can fix this and that will be a sign of our faith because it's not about our performance in life and it's not about denial. It is about sitting with it, as Claire said. But when we have faith, we heard that it energizes three other Ps. One says, I will have peace. The second one says, I will know presence. And the third one says, I will have purpose. And that means that the permanent becomes passing, the pervasive becomes contained, and the personal starts to become very purposeful. So, the power of all that was said tonight and all that was said um, during this message as well for me is that it isn't theoretical or hypothetical because we all have to live here. And so these are my final questions tonight. How many of you have had to get back up again? How many of you have had to do it far more times than you would have liked to? How many of you are needing to do that again? And please don't be fooled by sad versus smiley faces because sometimes the people with the biggest smiles are people who've had to get up the most times. And Poppy is not singing because it's okay. She's singing in despite the fact that she doesn't know what she's doing. She has no clue, but she's going to get back up again and give it a go because somehow she has an inner conviction that all will be well. So wherever you're looking from, um, let's not look from a superficial place. Let's not make assumptions about how anybody else is. The thing I love most about Q is that the Q stands for quest, which stands for questions, which means we need to have an innate curiosity to genuinely think, I wonder. I wonder what's really going on with that person. I wonder how they really are. I wonder what their silence means. I wonder what their smile means. I wonder what that expression means on their face. And so we're not people that knock each other down, but people that genuinely help each other get up. And we're genuinely people that join the quest. So I'm going to close tonight with a prayer. And I think if you want to, you can make this your prayer too. So are you ready? I'm off on this remarkable adventure, just riding on a big rainbow. What if it's all a big mistake? 
What if it's more than I can take? No, I really can't think that way because I know that I'm really, really, really going to be okay. Hey, I'm not giving up today. There's nothing getting in my way. And if you knock, knock me over, I will get back up again. Oh, and if something goes a little wrong, well, you can go ahead and bring it on. Because if you knock, knock, knock me over, I will get back up again. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. Now, if you've enjoyed what you've heard today, then we would love to hear from you. Feel free to drop us an email to info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. Don't forget there are blogs and all sorts of media to be enjoyed at qyork.co.uk, which are welcome to browse at your leisure. Until next time, enjoy the quest.